Welcome back to episode 67 of Sporting Max. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link, connecting you and your business with the biggest stars in the world through events and experiences. Please welcome number 67. He's an award-winning basketball journalist and currently now the only full-time paid basketball journalist in Australia. He's won uh, an award, an NBL Media Award for his column, The Lowdown Weekly. Um, check it out. And he's got a new podcast with Chris Anstey, The Lowdown Basketball Podcast. It's Matt Logue. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max. Today we are joined by the Daily Telegraph journalist, award-winning basketball journalist, and now he's in a new position um, as one of as uh, Australia's only uh, full-time basketball journalist, Matt Logue. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Uh, it's an honour to have you on. How you going at the moment? Mate, fantastic. Thank you for having me. Um, you say it's an honour for yourself, but, mate, it's an honour for me. Um, I've been, uh, yeah, keeping a close eye on your podcast. <laughs> mate, it, it's, it's, it's terrific. Um, great interviews. And as I said to you, you know, before the show, um, you mm-hmm. know, you remind me of myself when I was a young bloke, you know, growing up mm-hmm. in Dubbo, um, hanging around my godfather, plugging in a few chords at the broadcast yeah. field and, and and being wanted to be a, a, an aspiring sports journalist. So, mm-hmm. mate, you're on, you're on the right track. So, yeah, mate, I'm, I'm, I'm just really happy to be on here and um, have a chat. Thanks, Matt. Um, I really appreciate your feedback. Now, I'd like to start with sort of your childhood. and Can you take me through what growing up was uh, like for you? Yeah, so um, growing up in, in, in Dubbo, in um, in country in New South Wales so mm-hmm. um, I grew up in um, mum and dad and my little brother um, mm-hmm. and sport was just my world so mm-hmm. uh, I, I played everything from you know basketball through to you know rugby league to the swimming athletics um, mm-hmm. but you know rugby league and, and basketball were, were my two sort of major passions and yeah. journalism funnily enough was was my mm-hmm. major passion I remember being a young guy, um, you know, I get sent to my room if I was naughty. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd, take, <laughs> I'd get my cards out and I, mm-hmm. um, I'd, I'd pretend I was, you know, uh, one of the great players in the sport. Yeah. <laughs> I, I dreamed that, you know, one yeah. day being, being a sports reporter. So I remember, um, you know, approaching mum and dad and saying they could see that passion from a young age. And mm-hmm. they said, well, that's what you want to do. you got to you know, you got to work hard. And um, mm. so I remember um, my godfather back home in Dubbo, Jeff Mann, he's a, a sports broadcaster. So I'd go and help him mm. plug in the cords. I'd write his stats and I'd help him compile his weekly rugby league report. Wow. Um, and then when I was in year nine, I went down to the local paper in Dubbo and I uh, said, mm. what can I do? And I did work experience there and I ended wow. up doing a some weekly reports and um mm-hmm. and and I really went from there, mate. Um, I think the biggest advice I could pass on to any a, a, a aspiring young sports reporter or some a person that's keen to get into sport is mm-hmm. is when you're young, get out there and, and get involved, get experience like you're doing with your podcast because mm-hmm. um, it, it, it'll pay off. But yeah, mate, to answer your question, growing up in Dubbo, it's a it's a good country town. Um, people love their sport, and um, so I think that. It helped me fall in love um, with sports mm. journalism because it's like a it's like a second religion out there. Um, they, yeah. they, they love all things sport. Uh, you mentioned sitting there with the cards, um, you know, pretending you're commentating as one of um, the great commentators in the league. Um, that's actually what I do for the NBL. 
Um, just as soon as we're just sitting down, I will get me a list of players. I'll just I'll try and just memorize them if I can. Try and learn as many players' names as I can before the season starts, and then sit back on the couch at home. And my dad will be sitting there like, "What are you doing, mate?" I'm like, "Ah, just practicing." <laughs> That's that's terrific, and seriously, that's how a lot of you know um, the legendary commentators um, in all sports. That's how they mm. learn. Um, like you know, John Casey with the basketball, with the Olympics. Yeah. Ray Warren in rugby league. Um, uh, Dennis Committee in, in the AFL mm. circle. Um, you know, they they all they do that from a young age. So mm. yeah, I, I was definitely like that. I remember out the back, I used to have a an NBL basketball ring, and I used mm-hmm. to play and then try and commentate at the same time. And, yeah. Um, Used to think I was Andrew Gaze, but uh, yeah. <laughs> ever eventuate because I'm five foot nothing. I'm not. I could have been a track work jockey, but uh, definitely not a not a professional basketballer. But that's when I thought, well, I'm not going to really. I love my sport, but I was never yeah. going to make it at the highest level. Yeah, so thought, yeah. What can I do? What What's that next best option to mm-hmm. to get to that level? And it's you know it's sports journalism, and you know I've been blessed to um. Yeah, to rub shoulders with people like Andrew Gaze, who I now yeah. see, you know, he was one of my idols as a kid, and mm-hmm. someone now who I, you know, I respect greatly through through my role as a sports reporter. Uh, now throughout the podcast so far, we've had uh, many great um, athletes from the old Melbourne Tigers and Southeast Melbourne Magic. Were you a Tigers man or a Magic man, or were you one of the New South Wales teams? Yeah, well, growing up in in, in, in Sydney, um, um, I, I love the Sydney Kings. Um, Leon Trimmingham, I remember he um, he came to, to Dubbo. Uh, they did a pre-season game, the Sydney Kings, at our basketball court, which is across the road from my local high school. Mm-hmm. And it was like the circus had arrived. <laughs> it was it was so um, exciting and they mm-hmm. put on a show. It was that, you know, that American flair yeah. and jazz. It was Oh, it, it was so cool. I and mean, it was a land of the giants. It was these mm-hmm. guys that had turned up to, you know, country New South Wales. And you know, <laughs> it is primarily a rugby league town. But to mm-hmm. see these, um, you know, unbelievable athletes put on a show, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll never forget that. And I think that's what made me really also fall in love with basketball because um, mm-hmm. that was a really golden period. And you've had some so many great guests on. But you know, I grew up when basketball was humming, it was buzzing, and you, had, yeah. you know the likes of you know Southeast Melbourne, the Tigers, the Giants. Like Melbourne yeah. had so many teams, and it yeah. had each other. And mm-hmm. yeah, as I said, I used to pretend I was you know Andrew Gaze in in the backyard. So mm-hmm. while I was a big Kings fan, I think the ultimate respect was for someone like Gazy. And then as I got a lot older, you know, mm-hmm. people like you know Andrew Bogut. Um, yeah, what he managed to achieve is, um, you know, was incredible, and we were fortunate mm-hmm. to see him back here on Australian shores as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you get, you know, your first, sort of first break as a journalist, and what did you do? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, as I said, I started doing like work experience from a you young know, age, yeah, you know, from about eight onwards, which is really young, but yeah, <laughs> about. Uh, and then when I finished um, high school, I went to um, Bathurst University and I studied um, journalism there. And um, yep. I had, I think I had 16 A4 folders full of stories. And wow. basically when I finished my uni degree, the lecturer said, you need to take all those folders and you need to just, that is what's going to help you get a job. Obviously your journalism mm-hmm. degree means a lot but it's your experience. So um, what you're doing now is great. So my recommendation would be to keep all these podcasts, keep everything Mm -hmm. that you do, because when you finish and then you're going to look for a job, 
that's what's mm-hmm. going to get you over the line. And, um, yeah. and I'm very lucky that I was um, given good advice on that from a few lecturers and fellow colleagues. And mm-hmm. um, my first year out of uni, I was very fortunate that I ended up picking up my dream job as a 21-year-old at Rugby League Week. The, um, yeah. Now, no longer around, but it, it was the old Bible. And, yeah, I'm very fortunate that um, that was a great job. And I got to interview mm-hmm guys that I looked up on to on TV as a youngster and next mm-hmm. thing you know I was there interviewing them so um yeah I started out at Rugby League Week and spent a, a decade there mm-hmm. uh, and then went to the Newcastle Knights briefly uh and worked under Wayne Bennett when he was at the Newcastle Knights mm-hmm. uh, went back to Sydney um and had an opportunity to work with Big League the other Rugby League magazine and from there mm-hmm. I picked up the Daily Telegraph and picked up basketball and from there I haven't looked back um mm-hmm. I'm you know as you said in the opener now full-time basketball reporter and um mm-hmm. no I, I I love it um yeah um as I said I'm only only a short bloke so I'm yeah definitely, uh, there's a bit of a height difference Same there, with me. <laughs> but, yeah, but basketball is such a terrific sport and um, yeah you know, I love the, I love the culture and the people involved um you mentioned your time on I think you mentioned a decade at rugby um, league week what was that like to be a part of um you know sort of a, a report like that oh it was it was amazing um <laughs> i was in a, it was i was probably lucky that it was a time in in covering um sport and not just rugby league but sport in general where the access was a lot better <laughs> so like you could get access to the dressing room and i remember sitting down like next you know the, next to the players and <laughs> you could build a relationship whereas now and particularly in the afl and the NRL, the access to the sheds is not as common. They're yeah. off and it's harder for young journos to build relationships. Mm-hmm. And I, really, I feel for young journos because to me that's the, the core of, of journalism is building relationships mm-hmm. and having the player trust you so you can tell their story where now I feel there's a little bit of a disconnect. But yeah. oh, my, my memories are, are fantastic. I've covered grand finals, state of origins. My first mm-hmm. year as a young reporter, I remember Shane Webke who played for the Broncos and Queensland, mm-hmm. he, I built a relationship with him during the season. And after they won the grand final that year, he goes, oh, he goes, mm-hmm. I was in the shed, grand final winning shed. And he goes, oh, Maddie, he goes, Maddie, <laughs> give me your phone. I handed him <laughs> the phone and he handed me the, the trophy. And he said, oh. there you go, mate, hold the trophy and took a photo. So, <laughs> you know, I was on cloud nine as a young, you know, 22-year-old mm-hmm. at, at the time. Um, but, you know, you also there's a steep learning curve. You learn your craft. You learn mm-hmm. you make mistakes. You learn how to write. How to become um, what's the story? How to become yeah. um, a journalist? And um, you know, and that's an art. And I think my my ten years at Rugby League Week really helped me to get mm-hmm. to where I am today in terms of um, building those fundamentals. And it was a, it's mm-hmm. a great learning place, and it's it's produced some of the you know, the great um, journalists in this country, including David Middleton, the great stat man in rugby league, who is now, you know, well-known in Channel 9 circles as well. Um, I want to touch on, like you mentioned before, um, your one season um, at the Newcastle Knights, um, working with back Wayne Bennett um, as a senior journalist. You know, how did you find that experience? Oh, it was incredible, mate. Like, mm-hmm. it was so good. Like, um, Wayne Bennett is... Um, doesn't give too much away in press conferences. He's very quiet. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, he knows how to play the media. But behind mm-hmm. the scenes, he's very funny. Um, he's very caring. And that's why players tend to um, want to play for him. And um, mm-hmm. 
I remember before I joined the Knights, um, I was working for League Week and I was out at Parramatta Stadium and it was the Eels up against um, the Knights and I was in the Knights sheds after the game interviewing, um, I think, Tamana Tahu at the time. And I remember Wayne <laughs> Bennett just walked up and he goes, he goes, hello. And he goes, where do you live? And I was <laughs> sort of taken back. I was like, oh, yeah. the great. You're, talk- you're talking to me. Yeah, you're talking to me. Like, you know, yeah. I, I said, oh, at the time I was, you know, Mona on Sydney's Northern Beaches. And he said, oh, mm. well, I'm going to the city to my hotel because I'm going back to Brisbane tomorrow. This was on a mm. Saturday or a Sunday to see his family. He goes, do you think you can give me a lift? <laughs> <laughs> Righto, no worries. Like, <laughs> you know, more than happy to give you a lift, Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, for your context, Max, I was a Newcastle Knights tragic. I mm-hmm. had a little car with Newcastle Knights seat covers. So I said, <laughs> mate, I'm more than happy to drive you to Dubbo if you like. I said, but on one condition, mate, I better let you know I've got Newcastle Knights seat covers, bit of a tragic. And he looked at me mm-hmm. and smiled and goes, mate, that's all good. No worries. Like, anyway, <laughs> at the time, I was coaching a junior rugby league team in Monaval here in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, so my car, we had junior league kit on the back seat. There was newspapers everywhere. It was a bonfire. <laughs> And I'm like, geez, like, it was a bit embarrassing. Anyway, Wayne gets to the car and he looks and pauses and he goes, looks like you live in your car, young fella. (laughs) (laughs) So it was one of those moments. But we then spent, you know, the next 40 minutes in the car driving, um, you know, driving Wayne Mm. back to the city. And it was all off the record. But we did speak a lot about his motivations as being a coach. And he was giving me tips for my little junior league team at the time. Mm. So, you know, that that was incredible. It's a long-winded story, but it has a point because when I got to the Knights, I had that relationship with Wayne. Yeah. I remember, I remember seeing him the week after the car trip and he said to me, oh, how did how did your kids go? And I told him, I said, oh, mate, I said, we went down to the beach and Wayne Bennett said that this is how we got to tackle and the little mm. kid's eyes lit up. And then Wayne, telling <laughs> my story, Wayne's eyes lit up. He was so, like, mm-hmm. engaged about it. But I remember my first day at the Knights, I'm sitting at my desk and Wayne Bennett walks past mm-hmm. and says, oh, you're working for us now. He just smiles at me and <laughs> keeps walking. <laughs> so, you know, he's a character. Um, yeah. But I did get to see how he operates when Alex McKinnon got injured in Melbourne mm-hmm. against the Storm and obviously that was a serious injury and he's now, you know, in a wheelchair. And yeah. um, the way that Wayne Bennett cared about Alex and the way that he mm-hmm. put football second to Alex's welfare. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a reason why Wayne Bennett is so successful. Um, so what was that like to sit down with Wayne in the car for, you know, like you mentioned, 40 minutes um, and, you know, hear his story and his motivations? Oh, yeah, it was amazing. Like it was mm-hmm. – I was sort of had to pinch myself moment. Like I was mm-hmm. a bit like, oh, is this really happening? But because I'd always like sort of like idolised or, or, or respected Wayne Bennett for what he'd achieved as a coach and mm-hmm. – um, so, yeah, we, we um, as I said, he was giving me some little tips with the kids, with the coaching. But it was mm-hmm. really fascinating to sit in, really hear him talk about his, what motivates him and yeah. why he wants to be a coach and why he wants to help young yeah. become not only better players but better people. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's something that, you know, when Wayne retires, I might I might bring that story out. Yeah. <laughs> a bit of a laugh. But, yeah, no, it was certainly an honour to... Um, to, to work under Wayne at, at the night and, and get to see a different side to how the media works. Like in Clubland, um, you know, they've got a different a role to play than a journalist. Mm-hmm. Like almost my job is to find the story, but in Clubland, 
you know, mm-hmm. their job is to um, protect the players and to, to sell the narrative in a different way. So, you know, yeah. it's a good experience. Um, so like you mentioned, as a journalist, you know, how do you find that when you're working for a club um, and you have to write articles in which you're not critical um, of the club which you work at? Yeah, that was really challenging. I, I found that really difficult, Max. Um, mm-hmm. was, you know, I'd been a journalist, as I said, for 10 years at Rugby League Week. So then to go into club land and for it to be different, it was, it's PR, yeah. actually. So you're not necessarily telling the whole truth. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I found that hard. But I certainly don't regret going there because um, it was, a, you know, it was an awesome experience. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can add as many different opportunities to your resume, then it's not going to mm-hmm. hurt you. And um, as I said, I, you know, I got to sort of see how Wayne Bennett operated behind closed doors. I, I, I yeah. um, got to see how the players and, and, and the effort that goes into preparing to become a professional athlete, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's full on. And, you know, my utmost respect, I remember I, um, they got me to do a, a story on um, their pre-season training and I actually did the sand dunes with the Newcastle Knights. I <laughs> Seriously, like I like my fitness, but I had yeah. like you know. <laughs> so I think those insights have helped me become a better reporter because I'd like to think that I mm-hmm. I, I understand how a, a player thinks because I've been there and seen what they have to go through. Yeah, um, I was reading. I think it was Ron Barassi's um, one of his um, old books, and he said, "Oh, uh, and there was I think it was John Power, a journalist. And he said, look, he goes, I don't want to come into the club for a year at North Melbourne.'" as just a journalist and follow every player, he goes, while they were all training, I was taking notes while I, while I was running laps of the over, you know. He goes, I had a little notepad and pen with me as I'm running. He goes, because I don't want them to think, you know, I'm just some, you know, journalist who's just coming for a year and then going to take off. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the um, that's the balance, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. And the other hard part to it is, and I think, is that, as I said, the relationship between players and journalists now is not necessarily what it used to like we're talking about you know in in ron's day where like you know for example you know journalists would be in the shed they'd be everywhere there were journalists in the shower yeah you know so like it was it's just a different and and you had tours and Mm. players would go on tours with, with 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 um with journalists and they they'd get a relationship they'd have a beer together like and now it's almost forbidden yeah, now yeah. You know, and and I find that you know that that's sad. I, I look at some of our um you know um, our older sports reporters, and they really mm-hmm. were blessed to be part of the heyday when um yeah you know that's just what it was like. And um I, I really hope that we can come full circle and and, and mm-hmm. that can return because I feel like for the next generation of young sports journalists like yourself, Max, I think um I'd love to see you guys get um, that same access so you can build the same relationship mm-hmm. with um. Yeah, I know the world's, um, you know, going, you know, a little bit negative and, and yeah. that contributes. But I feel like at the end of the day, the best sports journalism is built off relationships. Um. So what's your philosophy um, as a journalist? I think it's to tell people something that they don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the utmost thing. I think if you can tell people, um, you know, information that they can't get anywhere else, so take the, the fan behind mm-hmm. closed doors. So mm-hmm. tell them about well, what is it like to be in inside of a club or what's it yeah. like, you know, the, the Ben Simmons trade situation at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've had a good chat with Andrew Bogut and I'm one, I went, got him to detail, like, well, how do trades mm-hmm. work and 
how did you deal with trades when you were in the NBA? So mm. really give people something that they can't get anywhere else. Um, and that's relatable. Yeah, that's relatable mm. as well. And, and, and I think other than that, I think, mate, that the key to, to journalism, as I said, is, is, is relationships and building mm. respect. And, and I think if the public can see that, you know, you're fair and you're balanced yeah. uh, on top of, you know, writing the hard stuff when you've got to write it, Mm-hmm. then I think you'll, you'll have respect. So it's just telling people new information and, and, and definitely mm-hmm. um, and being balanced. I, I think that's the key. Um, I'm pretty sure you got into radio and sort of how did you get into radio with the ABC um, commentating NRL matches, which you know, obviously led to being co-host of the two halves um, of the radio and a regular rugby league analyst. Yeah, um, I've always loved radio. It's um, like I love TV, but uh, the best mm-hmm. thing about radio, Max, is you can just you can just you know Go, yeah. do the interview from bed in the morning if you have mm-hmm. to. <laughs> um, but I really enjoy radio. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's immediate. Um, I just showed a little bit of initiative and and uh, and reached mm-hmm. out to a few stations and said, look, I'd love to um, help you out. And as you said, that led to a few. Um, um, sideline interviews, um, covering mm-hmm. NRL matches for the ABC radio, and then I ended up doing a, a show as well. Um, mm. The two halves with Amanda Shalala, um, a, a rugby league show. And yeah, that 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 was that was great. Um, and, and, mm-hmm. I, and even today, I still do a lot of uh, regular radio um, across the nation. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, the forum I really enjoy because um, you've got your print work and some mm-hmm. TV stuff, and it's but it's good to. Um, talk about your stories or talk about yeah. using sport on radio. So, yeah, it's definitely a platform that I'll, I'll continue to work on. So how do you find that difference between um, radio and, you know, a TV set? Yeah, it's, it's a great point. I guess with TV you've got you've got images. So mm. you've got images to help tell the story where with radio mm. you've got to paint the picture. That's mm-hmm. like a good feature story, I suppose. Yeah. You've got to set the scene and paint, give the reader a sense of what's happening so it's the same on radio you've got to um you know they can't see the pictures or they they're not they were not there with andrew bogut in the sheds after the game so mm-hmm. tell them what it was like and, mm-hmm. and that's what i love about radio um and i love how immediate it is i, I think yeah. that's really cool so if there's a big breaking story we can jump on radio and we can talk mm-hmm. about it and and and, and I, I think that's that's cool that'd be the biggest difference is you know obviously the images yeah. Um, now, we've been working with the Daily, Daily Telegraph uh, for seven years now, writing and reporting. Um, what's the most challenging part about working for a newspaper? I'd say the, the daily demands. I'd say, mm-hmm. it, it, um, you know, just the news cycle these days, it, it never it's insane. ends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. So, like, you, um, and you, 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 so you really, you, you never stop. You're always thinking about mm. the next angle, um, I remember when, like I say, I was at Rugby League Week, you'd be on a weekly, so you'd have one big week a week mm-hmm. that you'd have to do all your stories, where that's every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the way the media's changed, Max, with uh, technology, uh, the news cycle's ramped up even more. Mm-hmm. So back in the day, the journalists could probably sit on a back page story yeah. and run in the paper and it'd be fine. But these days, the amount of stories that get gazumped because yeah. social media or someone on Twitter's heard something and the next thing you know it goes up. So it's mm. it, 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 it's a it's a big challenge. Um mm-hmm. and I think yeah that's definitely the hardest part because um you, you just can't switch off. You've constantly got to be thinking about well what's the next story. So have you ever found yourself in a situation where 
Um, you know, there might be a news report that you have to immediately, um, you know, write about and then um, before someone else or, uh, I don't know, maybe a bigger name or profile company, maybe like the Herald Sun, gets their hands on it and then gets it out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So sometimes the amount of times, like, I've had a story and mm -hmm. I'm ready to go with it, um, you know, it's a, it's a breaking story. And then, for example, another journalist um, may get the, the, you know, the same story and then they go before you. Um, yeah. That's the nature of, of, of breaking news and it's mm -hmm. and, and it's 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 tough because on one end you're built you've got your relationships and you and, and they trust you and mm -hmm. then you know word spreads quickly like nothing is a secret and it doesn't stay yeah. for very long so it, mm -hmm. it evolves quickly and then someone else can come in and get it and yeah it's frustrating but i guess mm -hmm. you know it, it's it's one story and and, and you get annoyed yeah. for a couple of minutes and then you move on. But mm -hmm. it's definitely a challenge. And, and I think um, yeah, the biggest example I can think of is um, I remember when Andrew Gaze, you know, was at the Kings and mm -hmm. he, um, there was talk that he may may leave the Kings to go back to Melbourne. And mm -hmm. the biggest challenge is, is um, you've got uh, the story and, 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 and it's that, then that mad rush. Mm -hmm. get it up before everyone yeah. <laughs> you know that it's starting to leak out and it's, mm -hmm. and it's um so yeah it's, it's definitely frantic but it's enjoyable because it's this mm -hmm. a bit of a rush mm -hmm. um so in 2013 you published your first book uh electric the story of Parramatta's golden era um what was the experience of writing a book for the first time like oh enormously challenging um mm -hmm. yeah i was still pretty young uh i co-authored uh Eli Electric with one of my friends, Adam Burnett, mm -hmm. reporter, and uh, oh, it was it was great. Um, mm -hmm. The concept of the book was interviewing a lot of those '80s Parramatta players who mm -hmm. could easily be mistaken as my dad yeah. um, <laughs> in 1984. But it was great to sit down and chat to them about a, a, such a successful period for the Parramatta mm -hmm. in the '80s when they they won, you know, four premierships. They were they were the powerhouse of the competition alongside mm -hmm. the Canterbury Bulldogs and I think um, probably one of my favourite anecdotes was sitting down with Eric Groth Senior and mm -hmm. talking about he he was such a great player, a big winger, and he's very mm -hmm. powerful, but he's a little bit lazy at training. <laughs> he told me one day that they did this big road run, but what mm -hmm. he tried to do is at the start of the road run, he'd hide under a car and oh. just wait there for the road run to finish. And at the end, <laughs> he'd get out. And he'd get a bit of water and throw the water over his face. Yeah. And look, he was sweaty. Unfortunately, <laughs> the great uh, Jack Gibson, who was the master coach of the Eels in the 80s, he mm. was watching Eric the whole time. Oh. And at the end, he said, oh, how did your run go, Eric? He said, oh, pretty good. Yeah, mate. You go, I'm, I'm sweating. He goes, Eric, don't lie to me, mate. I saw you hide. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a different time. So it was really mm -hmm. cool to write a book about one of Australian sports' most successful teams. Yeah, the characters behind that, and when life was so different in the eighties, like mm -hmm. now AFL and NRL players and basketballers, they it's a struggle to go out in the public mm -hmm. without you know someone potentially taking a photo or mm. you know perceiving something to be them doing something wrong. Whereas in yeah. the, back in the day, the you know the eighties, the the NRL and the AFL players and, and athletes in all sports. They mm. were coexisting with the fans. You know, they were going to cold chisel concerts together. Mm -hmm. So it was, I think I, I really found that interesting. And um, But the process in writing a book for the first time was 
a lot of hard work. It's mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it's full on, but it's rewarding at the end because I never thought in a million years I would write a book as a young guy your age and mm-hmm. um, to now write have, have written three. It's um something that I'm yeah very very proud about. Uh, in 2000, oh sorry, <laughs> in February 2019, uh, you won the NBL's Best News Story Award uh, for reporting the Sydney Kings' interest um, in star boomers player now unfortunately retired uh, Andrew Bogut. You know how did it uh, feel to be recognised for you know breaking this story? Oh, it's um, it was incredibly humbling, Max. I think um, mm-hmm. for me that's like a story that I'm particularly proud of because. Mm-hmm. Um, we got wind that um, the Sydney Kings were interested in Andrew Bogut in signing Andrew Bogut and bringing him back um, mm-hmm. three months before it actually came to fruition. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that was um, something that um, – and, and given the significance, Max, I think, of, of Andrew's signing with the Kings and and, and now mm-hmm. we look back in hindsight how big that has been for Australian basketball, yeah. for him to come back and to pave the way for – the, the likes of, you know, Delhi, who is now playing with, you know, Melbourne United and, and mm-hmm. more NBA players to come home. But it was also the way that Andrew played. Like, he came back to the Kings. He, he won MVP. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a joy to see the number one draft pick, um, yeah. you know, Australian guy who went, went on to win a championship with Golden State back on Australian soil with the Kings. Mm-hmm. And the way that Andrew plays basketball, it's basketball beauty. Like, yeah. I love <laughs> You no, know, he, he he gets the ball in the post. He's got like a like he's got it up like a ping pong ball, and, and mm-hmm. his vision and he's passing for a big man. Mm-hmm. He's just and to be on the sideline and, and to be able to see that here, I thought was just incredible to watch. And um, I think he he's really inspired a lot of people now, and he's put mm-hmm. the NBL on the map. When in the past he he vocally said Andrew that we would never come back to the NBL because the standard yeah. wasn't high enough. Well. The, the standard of the league was yeah. for Andrew to come back <laughs> and, and now look where the league is going. It's um, it's a legitimate breeding ground, mm-hmm. um, the NBA. Um, this season coming up, there'll be, you know, players from all over the world competing. Ariel Porte. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. he's going to, it, it's super exciting talent. So mm. um, to answer your question, yeah, um, yeah, incredibly humbling and then that's yeah it's, I think that's a story I'll look back on as um one that um, mm-hmm. I'm particularly proud of so when it comes to your vision of what you see in a guy like Andrew Bogut compared to you know up-and-coming star Jock Landau how do you compare those two guys and what do you think Jock can do in the NBA yeah I'm super excited um for, for Jock I think mm-hmm. um it's an opportunity I think San Antonio is a good fit for him um mm-hmm. he's getting limited minutes so far yeah. um but I think, you know, Greg Popovich traditionally doesn't play rookies or NBA yeah. rookies <laughs> much time. So yeah. I think Jock, Jock's got the right characteristics. He's a hard worker, like a lot mm-hmm. of the Aussie NBA guys. That's a common trait. And mm-hmm. I think that system under Popovich, I think he'll excel. He'll be patient. He'll mm-hmm. know he'll have to fight his time. And like we saw the other day, Max, I think he was on there for five minutes and he had 10 pit points. 10 points, yeah. Minutes, you know, a great stat line, the first time since, I think, Bobby Marks for Spurs in 95. So that's going back a long time. So yeah. to answer your question around Jock's characteristics are similar to Andrew in the sense that the work ethic and the big man um, that um, can stretch the floor, where Jock will, will need to improve will be um, his, his passing. 
I feel like Andrew's passing was that's what made him just so yeah. Um, I think the other side of Jock's game is Jock's a better shooter. Um, yeah. It wasn't Andrew's game, though. But mm-hmm. I think the fact that Jock has got that knockdown three in his game mm. is a huge weapon, and, and I think that's going to hold him in good stead. I think um, he's got the defence. He's got the right attitude. Um, the biggest mm-hmm. factor will probably just be his, his ability to, to get other people involved in the game. And I think that's yeah. made Andrew Bogut one of the, the great Australian players. Um, so how do you think Melbourne United are going to go um, this season with that hole and void left by Jock Lander? Oh, no doubt it'll be a challenge because, you know, Jock, <laughs> Jock was, in my Super opinion, should won, yeah, should have won the MVP. MVP. <laughs> like, I think Bryce Cotton, look, Whatever Bryce Cotton's at the Perth Wildcats, they're going to be the team to beat, let's be honest. Yeah. So good. But Jock was sensational last year. Um, so they'll miss him, United. But I feel like they've loaded up well. Um, you mentioned, mm-hmm. that you know, their young next star, German next star. I think he'll be a, a real find. Um, Matthew Delavadova comes in. Um, mm-hmm. Brad Newley comes in. Kalevagata. Yeah, they've still mm-hmm. got a, a core base of, I think, six players that were there last year. Yeah. Like, while Delhi. I don't think Delhi's going to be known for his points. Yeah. Um, but I think he'll definitely, I'll be very surprised if he doesn't set a, an NBL assist record. Like, I think yeah. <laughs> he's going to make others better, and that's Delhi's game. I think he was a little <laughs> bit underdone at the Olympics coming off, the, you know, those concussion and not playing much in the NBA. Mm-hmm. But what Delhi is, he's a winner. And from having yeah. conversations with people at Melbourne um, United, including Coach Dan Bickerman, um, mm-hmm. Delhi um, is so thorough. So behind mm-hmm. the scenes, they reckon he's, he's like a scientist. Like he literally <laughs> breaks down everything that they do at training. His mm-hmm. expectation and demands on the players and the coaching staff is through the roof. So mm-hmm. you certainly won't see Melbourne United slip in the standard stakes. My biggest yeah. question will be is whether they've got that difference maker like mm-hmm. Landale when they need it most and mm-hmm. um, also an age factor. You know, they do have, despite some youth, they yeah. some guys that are at the back end of their career and, and can they do it mm. again? But I cannot doubt them because Dean Vickerman is such a good coach. Yeah. Um, I heard, like you mentioned, Dean Vickerman on uh, Liam Santa Maria's The Huddle Podcast for the NBL saying um, they've sort of given Delhi the freedom to, you know, take the opportunities to score when he can get it. You know, we want you to be a defensive guy, but we have also got those defensive aspects in the team. So if you can score for us, that's amazing. But, you know, they've got – they're so stacked like they were last season at both ends of the floor that whatever Delhi can put together for them is just going to be amazing. Yeah, I think you're right, man. I think um, that's the right focus with Delhi because uh, I think I think he'll be better than the Olympics, though, and I think he'll get more scoring opportunities um, yeah. in the NBL um, and more freedom. And as you said, United will allow that. But the mm-hmm. strength of Delhi's game is his ability to make others better. Yeah. Um, he's, he's passing. Um, and I think, as you said, United are quite loaded. They've got a lot of depth. And, and whenever mm-hmm. you've got a bloke like Chris Golding there, then mm-hmm. I, I just think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, Delhi is going to get him in space and make him better. He's going to find Barlow for, for, mm. for, for deep three. And I, I, um, I, I just, I'm really looking forward to seeing how Delhi. Um, get those connections with his teammates going. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, United will know what to do. Vickerman will know what to do. And mm-hmm. whatever people up here in Sydney doubt United and say that yeah. they can't do it, 
I just, think <laughs> they just love it um, down your neck of the woods. I think they'll just they'll laugh and just go, oh, it's all good. We'll just win games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so also in 2009, you then published a book, um, Hoop Dreams Down Under, a fantastic book where you, you interview Australian basketball legends, you know, Shane Hill, Ben Simmons, um, Baines, the Aaron Baines, Paddy Mills. We saw what he did at the Olympics. Andrew Berger, like we mentioned before. Lauren Jackson, Chris Anstey, Andrew Gaze, um, those two were actually out on the podcast, uh, and Mark Radke, plus a heap of other superstar names. Um, can you take me through these interviews and what it's like uh, from your perspective? Oh, it was um, it, it, it was it was amazing um, experience to put together the book. It was something that I was really passionate about because mm. having covered a lot of these guys, I thought, wow, these stories are amazing. Like this, yeah, these guys are so inspirational. How can I galvanize all this and 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 put it all together? So we can keep, have it as, as something that is a permanent reminder for people and obviously mm-hmm. the book comes to mind. So it's something that, I, you know, I approached the publishers about and initially they were a little bit, oh, you know, AFL and rugby league are the only sports that sell. And I said, I promise you, basketball yeah. will sell. And they eventually came around and, um, yeah, I got to go down to um, Melbourne. I, um, I interviewed players from all um, over the phone. Uh, I did countless interviews. And was able to put together a book, as you say, and um, yeah, that some of the stories that came out of that, Max, um, <laughs> you know, were, were fantastic. And I guess the biggest aim of the book that I wanted was to inspire the next generation um, like yourself. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted young people to see this collection of Australians and what they've done on the international stage, how they've <laughs> got there. People like Delhi who grew up and was told, like, you're not going to make it. You're too small. You're too slow. Mm. It's not going to happen. And Delhi went, well, you watch me show you. And yeah. for him to do that from regional Victoria and now be an NBA champion and, and live out his dreams, um, mm-hmm. I, I think that's fantastic. So that's what I wanted, wanted Hoop Dreams Down Under to encapsulate is mm-hmm. how well Australians have done to, to make it to the NBA. And I think that's mm-hmm. highlighted in my um in, in in my opening of the book where I talk about um draft night for Andrew Bogut and, mm-hmm. you know one of my mates being there at draft night all decked out in his green and gold and when Andrew mm-hmm. Bogut's name's read out number one draft pick he stands up he waves <laughs> and says you know go Australia go Andrew Bogut and he hears his voice in the background and the voice says sit down and he goes what do you mean mate this is a great moment like you know how good's this mm-hmm. The American voice says, no, no, sit down. This is America. My mate turned around to him and said, no, 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 no. <laughs> we're Aussies and we're here to take over. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know and I think yeah. that that cheekiness and that fighting spirit mm-hmm. and that work ethic is resonated through all the stories in the book from Andrew Gaze to, to Patty Mills to Joe Ingalls to Aaron Baines. They've, mm-hmm. all, they've all worked incredibly hard to get there. But more importantly... Um, I think they're great uh, role models for, for, for mm-hmm. people. They're genuine role models because um, they're also good people. Um, and mm-hmm. I think you see that as you mentioned, like what Paddy Mills was able to do um, at the Olympics on the court, amazing. Mm-hmm. And we'll yeah. go down to folklore, but it's also what Paddy does off the court with his work in the Indigenous community, um, mm-hmm. his, his work in the community in general. And, and I think there's a reason why I think if Paddy Mills went for PM at the moment, Max, I think he'd be a big Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in season 2019, 20, 
Um, you once again won the NBL's best coverage award um, for your weekly column, The Load Down. Um, can you take me inside this article and what you'd like to write about in this article? Yeah, so The Load Down is something that was a little bit of a play on words to start with, The Load Down. The Load Down, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the premise of it is really around um, the, the breaking news, um, whispers, mm -hmm. Um, gossip in and around basketball circles in the NBL, NBA, Australian basketball, mm -hmm. also women's basketball. And, um, yeah, I'm really happy that the column is back now uh, in my full-time role um, as a basketball reporter. And it's every mm -hmm. Monday in um, all the papers nationally. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and it's good. I really enjoy it. it it's, it's a challenge because every week you've got to make a lot of calls and you've got to um, really try and get to the bottom of what's happening in basketball and get some really good news. And it's, it's built off the fundamentals of journalism and relationship mm -hmm. and, um, and contacts. And um, I think it's great. I think it's great for basketball. And that's my fundamental motivation mm -hmm. is that basketball every Monday has got a national column where all mm -hmm. the teams are, um, I try and get all the teams represented so everyone, you know, it can go in the Brisbane paper, it can go in Sydney, it can go in Melbourne. Um, and, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's um, something that is great for, for basketball. And I think we're also about to turn the column into um, a podcast as well. So, wow. so watch, watch this space. We've got some, some exciting content coming. Mm -hmm. um, now, I want to briefly touch on the Australian Boomers. I mean, Paddy Mills, 42 points, everyone playing their part. But how does it feel for you to watch these guys um, and knowing, you know, you've interviewed some of these world superstars. Oh, I tell you now, Max, like like everyone watching the Boomers at, at, at Tokyo, it was quite emotional, if I'm being honest. Mm. Like it was um, just having seen that six-decade journey, and I haven't seen the whole six-decade journey, but <laughs> I, I covered the World Cup in, in mm -hmm. 2019 in China, and it was the, the, at the time, the fourth time that the Aussies had finished fourth, and I was actually... Um, sitting next to Andrew Gaze, the great Andrew Gaze, who's so yeah. and he's, he's fantastic on your podcast a couple of weeks ago. And oh, thank you. <laughs> he he um, it was the Spain game at the World Cup, the semi final, mm. and they led. They, 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 they had it in the bag, and they ended up mm. losing in double overtime. And that was a, a guaranteed medal blown. That was gut wrenching. Yeah, it was so gut wrenching. And I remember sitting next to Andrew Gaze at the time, and this roller coaster of emotions. He was, mm -hmm. he was up. He was like, because Gaze had been there. He'd seen. He'd finished fourth, and he'd known mm -hmm. the pain like in Sydney. Um, and 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 I think he thought, oh, here's our chance. We're going to do it. Like, and his eyes lit up like a mm -hmm. an excitable child. Like, but then to go from that excitement to that crushing blow of the guys. Mm -hmm you know, not being able to get the job done and then a week mm -hmm. later losing to uh, France in the bronze medal game and mm -hmm. gave his face, oh, it was just, he was just shattered. Yeah. So then flash forward to Tokyo and you see the sheer elation of this six-decade drought being broken and, mm -hmm. the, and the hard work. And I'm there filing my story. I couldn't go to Tokyo for family reasons, but I'm here in Sydney mm -hmm. filing my story. And... We all saw the footage afterwards of afterwards rather of Gaze yeah. seven and he's he's in tears and mm -hmm. he's talking about the DNA of so many hardworking people being on this medal and mm. he's putting up talking about the legacy of his dad Lindsay and what what he has put into basketball and how much this means to him mm -hmm. and I thought geez this is the most celebrated bronze medal in Australian sporting history but 
seeing Gagey tear up, I, I, I'm, I'll be honest, yeah. I was struggling. Like, I was, I was <laughs> in, in, in tears myself because I'm just mm-hmm. like, just the emotion of having seen Gagey at the World Cup and seeing how much it meant to him. And then mm-hmm. now, them finally fulfilling that and winning that, that medal, it was just a, it was a terrific moment. And it's actually a moment that I'll, um, that I'm going to, um, write about i've actually been approved to write a, another book um, wow. so i'm going to write a book on on the boomers and the six decade journey to mm-hmm. um to that glorious moment and we'll, and we'll put it out um before paris so mm-hmm. um again um, a bit more hard work coming but yeah it was just a moment that that just had to be documented max and as mm-hmm. i said it was um yeah it was a, it was a real honor to um to see the boomers finally win that medal even though it wasn't mm-hmm. Um, so Josh Giddy, I mean, what a superstar we've seen, you know, uh, only the only person to have a double-double at his age alongside LeBron James. Um, how do you see his um, future going in the NBA and also for the next generation um, of Aussie Boomers alongside Josh, um, you know, also Josh Green, Matisse Thibel, um, Dyson Daniels? Yeah, yeah, it's super exciting. I think mm-hmm. booking tickets for Paris now, like I yeah, think, uh, it's I, I think sky's the, sky's the you know the limit with that young core. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully, Ben Simmons can be a part of that moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, to answer your question around Josh Giddy, well, you know, wow, like his start mm-hmm. to the NBA season has been you know very impressive. He, he, mm-hmm. he looks comfortable, which mm-hmm. is. Um, which is a, and he looks like he belongs, which is a fair effort for a nineteen-year-old. And he makes it look so easy. He really does. He looks calm. Like mm. the other day, yeah. You know, um, the defense on the Clippers rushed up on him. I think, mm. and and he and he just he just casually just went, no, yeah, no worries. No, yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, and I think Max, that's a testament to. He's he's upbringing. I think he's been around basketball. You know, his dad. Um, the Tigers legend mm. so he's been around um, basketball and basketball systems since he was knee high mm. to grasshopper yeah. um, and, and he clearly is um, is very hard working mm-hmm. um, and he, he's very humble as well mm. so I think that's going to put him in, in good stead the biggest thing for me Max about Josh Giddy is um, all the great athletes no matter what sport it is have time Yeah, they, they can make a play look like it's slow motion. Yeah. <laughs> he has this remarkable ability to slow things down and nine times out of ten find the right pass. Mm. His passing ability and his ability to make others better is special. And mm-hmm. I think I think his scoring will come. He's 19. Yeah. But what he's been able to do and looking at the stats after his first five games, he's second all mm-hmm. time Aussie. Yeah. Yeah, he's had more points and assists than Andrew Bogut did in his first five NBA games as a number one draft pick with the Bucks. Mm-hmm. That's that's a fair effort. He's also had yeah. more rebounds than Luke Longley did after his yeah. first five games in the NBA. So mm-hmm. I think the kids had a great start, um, but I think what will help him moving forward is the fact that he'll keep his feet on the ground. Mm-hmm. You know the NBA, the bright lights, the big money, the the Lamborghinis. We've all seen how LeBron yeah. handles himself. Yeah, I don't think that'll be Josh. I think people no, yeah. will bring him back down to earth pretty quickly, and mm-hmm. because there will be challenges. Defenses will work him out, but mm-hmm. yeah, super exciting. That's so yeah. cool. Uh, I can't wait to see him. I think he'll be the he'll be the the, 
the, the future of Australian you know, basketball. He really will be. I, I, re- I know I think he will, we will be talking about him in the same sense as like a, he'll be the future Joe Ingalls. Yeah. He will just be so loved and revered by the Australian public. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wish him all the best. Um, so Joe Ingalls, end of his career, do you think he's coming back to Melbourne, yes or no? Oh, good question. Buzz, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go yes. I think yeah. I'd like to see it. I think he will. If he comes back, he will come um, to, to Melbourne. Um, and, and I think that, you know, it'll, it'll be, be great to see. Um, Phoenix or United? Go Phoenix. Adelaide fans will be filthy though, Max, because yeah. they, they miss out on, on <laughs> miss out <laughs> him as a youngster with a botched contract. And I think yeah. they'll want him to go back there. But um, yeah, I think with the family in, in Melbourne, it wouldn't surprise me um, mm. if he, he played for, for, for a Melbourne team. But uh, exciting times if we can get, you know, Joe Ingalls back, you know, in the NBL. But I, st- I think he's got a little bit to go. He's, his career's just gone like that. He just gets better and better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Utah are a big chance this year. Like, mm-hmm. I, I really I really do. I think they'll, they'll go well during the, the, the regular season. Their challenge is to prove they can win in the postseason. Mm-hmm. But um, they've definitely got the pieces. Um, so what about uh, – far? I was going to say. That's all right. I just had a complete mind blank. Oh. You can edit that one. Yeah, I'll edit this one. Hang on, give me a minute and it'll come back to me. That's all right. Oh, yes, got it. I've got it. So so when someone like Dante Exum, you know, when he's had um, a fair few injuries over his career, um, sort of his NBA career is slowing down a bit, but then he's clearly from his um, Tokyo performance going to get a contract towards the back end of this NBA season, I'm sure. But um, but do you think he will end up coming back to Southeast Melbourne as, you know, he's a part owner? Yeah, it's an interesting story. Um, I think I agree with you, Max. I think Dante Exum, based off that Olympic performance, he was sensational for the boot. Mm-hmm. He was particularly impressive in the, uh, the bronze medal game against Slovenia. I thought he he was just, he was next level. And, and I think... Uh, it's a shame that the Rockets waived him. Uh, they've, you know, they've gone in a different direction. Uh, I potentially think they may regret that because I think Dante, um, mm-hmm. he was primed and, and, and ready to, to perform. Mm. As I said, he's had a lot of injuries. He hasn't played yeah. much basketball throughout his NBA career because of so many setbacks. But mm-hmm. at his best, he's got, he's got so much uh, ability. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, think, I agree with you. I think he will pick up a contract, potentially mm-hmm. a, a veteran contract. But... At the moment, he's not, the NBA season's going, Max, and he's just sitting there and, and, and he's not playing. Mm. So, look, my understanding is I reached out to the Phoenix. They said, look, if he wants to come back, we'll accommodate. The yeah. other side to that, I guess, is that the Phoenix don't necessarily need Dante Exum. They need, mm-hmm. you, know, um, uh, you know, they need a, another player. They need, like, you know, maybe, a, a, you know, another big or a backup for, you know, forward. Yeah. They don't necessarily need Dante Exum, uh, mm-hmm. another guard, because they've sort of got, a lot of those positions, yeah. you know, covered it. You know, they got Ryan and yeah, they got Creaky. So it, it mm-hmm. is hard, but, geez, what do you do, Max? It's a tough situation. If, if mm-hmm. somebody's sitting there waiting and he's not playing any basketball, it wouldn't yeah. hurt to come back and play <laughs> a little bit, you know, get get his feet under the ground, play some basketball, stay fit, mm-hmm. and then similar to what Andrew Bogut did, you know, go back to the NBA when he can pick, mm-hmm. pick up a deal. So, yeah, I, I'd like to see him return, whether or not it happens or not, is another story. Um, so if you could speak to anyone 
um, in the world who would it be? Oh, that, that is a that is a great question. <laughs> um, athlete wise, I would probably say uh, Kevin Garnett. It's, wow. Yeah. I'm actually a massive Celtics fan. Mm-hmm. So I would say that on here without any bias. Um, mm-hmm. And they're struggling at the moment, so I'm, mm-hmm. you, know, a bit, you know, not happy about that. But <laughs> but I remember <laughs> a couple of years ago, I got to interview Paul Pierce, and that mm-hmm. was like the truth. I was like, oh, this is amazing, and we sat mm-hmm. down and had a chat and. I thought that was pretty incredible. But what I love about KGs is, is the defensive mindset. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that's what I love about Andrew Bogut as well, the way Bogut's played in his blocks and that present mm-hmm. paint. And KG particularly, like he was just so energetic and yeah. get the, the, the garden crowd pumped up. So, yeah, I'd love to I'd love to chat to Kevin Garnett and love to chat to him about some of his, you know, the, the rivalries, um, you know, with the Lakers. Um because you know, I suppose mm-hmm. I was really blessed. I got to interview um, the Kobe, Kobe Bryant um, mm-hmm. before he tragically um, passed, and yeah, mm-hmm. he oh, like I'd have to put him at the top, probably. Matt. Yeah, he was just incredible to interview. The, a guy that can speak multiple languages. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he's just so knowledgeable, and, and you, you listen to him speak, and he's just so smart. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just um, so yeah. I, I think um, Kevin Garnett, but I'd have to put of my all-time favourite interviews would, would have to be Kobe. No, MJ. Oh, MJ, actually, geez, there's so many, mate. There's yeah, I know. <laughs> it, yeah, it is, it is difficult, but, yeah, MJ would be incredible. And I thought mm-hmm. the last dance, with you know, um, was was amazing. Um, and the stuff around Luke Longley post yeah. Luke's documentary as well, like, that was that was great. But, yeah, okay, I'll go MJ and Kobe right yeah. up. I'm in third. <laughs> Um, so what about out of basketball wise? Um, who would you like to speak to? Yeah, I think there are there are a number of of, of guys that um that I'd like to to speak to um at length. Um, mm-hmm. I think um one of my favourite interviews um in the NBL was Jay Sean Tate um, mm-hmm. when he was at the Sydney Kings, now at the Houston Rockets, and yeah, you know, he opened up about um, losing his mum at, at a young wow. age and. Um, and that was really, I love to tell stories about the human side to these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I think giving people um, a background to the face so they can mm-hmm. relate. Like these guys are just humans like you and I. And mm. um, yeah, they get paid to play professional sport, but um, they've all got fascinating stories. So, you know, maybe the, the Maker Brothers at the Sydney Kings this year, mm-hmm. you know, to, 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 to um, their journey from, you know, um, being. Um, you know, immigrants and and, and being uh, and 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 making it in basketball is just an incredible mm. story. So mm. yeah, I think stories like that, mate. I think I'd like to speak to those guys. Um, but even someone like Ryan Brokoff, like you know, mm-hmm. a, a guy from that 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 has made it at the highest level, but then faced the challenges of mm-hmm. you know being cut in the NBA and now coming back to the NBL and and trying to rebuild his career again and 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 fending mm-hmm. off injury and. Um, yeah, I, I, I like I like those stories as well. So I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's a great thing about the NBL and Australian basketball. There's so many good stories. So mm-hmm. you know, take your pick, really. Uh, one sort of last funny questions: um, tomato sauce in the fridge or cupboard? Oh, in, in, in the I put it in the fridge, and the missus gets filthy. So <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, oh, with you on that one, I got under a fridge too. No, I like my hundred percent fridge. Yeah. Fridge. It doesn't, it doesn't last long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, what would be your best advice to anyone uh, who wants to be a journalist and be in sports media and um, be successful like yourself? Oh, man, it's humbling. Um, I'd, I'd say work hard and don't be afraid to fail. Um, mm -hmm. It's going to happen, but that's how you learn. Um, mm -hmm. Definitely work hard. Your work ethic's the key. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks, Matt, for coming on today um, and setting aside, you know, an hour or so of your time. Uh, it's been an honour, a privilege, and an absolute pleasure, you know, to have you come on the podcast um, and share your incredible story. Oh, no, I really appreciate it, Max. And, mate, it's equally an honour for myself. Um, really inspiring stuff, that what you're doing, mate. Uh, keep it up, and I can't wait to see you, mate. You, you'll be on the, uh, the airways and the TV and the, the newspapers before we know it. So keep up the good work. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for the feedback. Uh, pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Stay tuned, everyone, for more Sporting Max. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sporting Max. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify or YouTube. And be sure to follow our socials. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link. This is The Voice of Melbourne. And we'll see you back here real soon for another episode of Sporting Max.